0: This is Sterling Anderson, and you're watching the TV Writer Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast. This is episode 53, and I have the privilege of bringing you a full video interview with feature and TV writer and author, Sterling Anderson. You are going to love this interview. And if you haven't bought Sterling's book, Beyond Screenwriting, I highly, highly recommend it. As a matter of fact, I would say if you have two or three books on your shelf and that's it, this is, this should be one of them. Get one on more of the format of screenwriting and then get beyond screenwriting to get the subtext of the behind the scenes in the trenches look at what it really means to be a writer in Hollywood. Um, Sterling's had a, a great career. He's sold screenplays. Um, he has sold movies of the week, actually uh, Emmy nominated movies of the week, he received image awards. Uh, he has written on well-known TV series with some pretty significant people. He's done a lot of rewriting in Hollywood, rewriting features. He's sold pilots and he's got stories to tell of the, of the, the path that he's taken. And what I really appreciate about Sterling is he is the type that he wants to help other people get where he is. And so do read the book, but on the way here is a wonderful interview with Sterling Anderson. Do check out his website, SterlingAndersonWriter.com. And, uh, and you're going to find a lot there. Oh, and uh, make sure you do check out tvwriterpodcast.com. For lots of great resources and lots of great back interviews, you can uh, follow me on Twitter. At Gray Jones as my handle. And uh, you're just going to love it. Let's roll. This is Gray, and I'm here with feature and TV writer and excellent author, Sterling Anderson. How are you doing, Sterling? Great, Graham. Thank you very much
1: for yeah. having me on.
0: Well, I really, really appreciate you joining me. I I just read Beyond Screenwriting recently. And I was just blown away. And I'm, I mean, if I, if I could pan the camera over to my shelf, I probably have about 45 or 50 writing books. Most of them I've read. And yet you, you managed to write a book that literally had, I would say most of the book was stuff that you can't find in any other book. Right. Right. And, and right. it was sort of like the, the subtext. If right. you will. Uh, the the, yeah. the kind of things that, that, like when, when we write dialogue that we, you don't want them to know the dialogue, you want to know what they mean. Well, right. these, these, these screenwriting books kind of, it's like what goes on the page, but what's behind that page is what we really need to know. And so. Yeah, exactly. I'm exactly. going to be very excited to talk to you about that, but we'll do that sort of toward the end, if that's okay. 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 So, uh, what I really want to do is start out and go chronologically, uh, through your career. And I think it's a really inspiring one. Uh, you mentioned at the end of Beyond Screenwriting a really inspiring story that I think um, can help to help people to understand that it doesn't really matter where you came from; that you can you can do it. But what, yes. why don't you tell me a little bit about where you grew up and and how you went to school and and uh, and when you decided you want to be a writer?
1: Well, um, it's, it's interesting uh, the moment my writing career actually started, but. Uh... Uh, I was born into abject poverty, um, single mother, teenager, uh, in the deep color purple South. Mm. And, uh, so I was born into no shot, really no shot, you you know, um, going to college, you know, I, I had a pretty good chance of probably going to jail rather than, you know, doing what I've done. But my, uh, mother remarried and her husband, my stepdad, they took me and my brother out of the Deep South and um shipped us to uh, Davis, California,
2: mm-hmm.
1: where I immediately had to be put into speech classes because no one could understand me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then, you know, um there was a teacher uh, named Sue Flanders who said, you know, I don't think this kid is actually illiterate or rem- remedial. I think he's kind of smart. And I, I attribute that. To, to, like, the change in my life, you know, that third or fourth grade teacher I had that said, you know, just because we can't understand him doesn't mean he's, you know, incompetent. Mm-hmm. So, um, Davis, California, liberal college town, gave, uh, provided me the opportunities to, you know, actually get a good education and, and sort of be in mainstream society, and I took f- full advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And I'm grateful my parents, you know, who actually grew up in, you know, real segregated South, you know, had the forethought to bring me and my brother out of, out of there.
0: Mm-hmm. And so you, you decided to go to St. Mary's College. Yes. And, yes. uh, and you had to be in English, but you didn't start out in English. You started out in religious studies. Tell me religious a little bit studies. about
1: that. <laughs> well, um, I I went to Boise State and I was a, uh did, did well academically. I won the Black Educator's um award and um and I thought, you know, who most inspires me more than, you know, um Martin, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and I I thought, you know, I really want to travel down this path. And so I, you know, I was a religious studies major and you know, when you do that, you have to have There's all these breath requirements, and you have to go to all these churches. Mm -hmm. And I went to all these churches, and I was like, wow, you guys are really corrupt. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) But anyway, um, they actually put me in um, a bonehead English class, and I said, you know what? If you're going to tell me I cannot write, I'm going to declare English as a major.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
2: Because
1: that will force me to write. Uh Uh-huh. And um, unfortunately, I had to take 22 English classes in my last two years of college. Wow. But what launched my career was a writing professor who was from Yale, and he was really academic and kind of, he was a bit frosty, mm-hmm. brisk, and uh, he didn't like athletes. And I played basketball, and um he said, uh, why are you working so hard on your papers? I said, because I asked him if I could rewrite them for a better grade, mm-hmm. and he said, what does it matter you'll never be a writer? No. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Seriously.
1: At that moment, I think it launched my writing career.
0: Uh-huh. That yes. is awesome. That's that, that's yeah. that's like the 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 coaches who who motivate by saying you can't do it and get that exactly. fire. That exactly. is that is so cool.
1: I don't encourage people to be motivated by um a negative um response or negative reinforcement i encourage young writers to become writers um and to sustain that you have to have a love of it Mm -hmm. It, not to prove anything because once you prove for something then what yeah you know it was nice that i got to write him a letter after i sold my first screenplay to disney for you know over three (laughs) hundred (laughs) thousand (laughs) dollars
0: he never wrote back but Uh uh-huh very very cool. So so in in between those two, though you did some winemaking. Now tell yes. me about that.
1: Well, you know, I I I, uh, I did martial arts and I started getting uh, very good at it, and I started qualifying for national, sectional, regional, national team. And I thought, well, I was living in the Bay Area, and I thought, well, I I need to get a job as a waiter because I can work at night and train during the day and go to competitions. So I wandered into this restaurant in Berkeley called Chez Panisse, <laughs> which turns out to be the culinary mecca of like California culinary cuisine with wow. Alice Waters, And, uh, it was amazing. What, what happened was, um, as I started to become a waiter and a, uh, sommelier, I started meeting all these winemakers, Joseph Phelps, Robert Mondavi, Joe Heights, and Joseph Phelps, a liking to me. And he said, you know, um, I hear you're interested in wine because you're a wine captain, and I said, yeah, absolutely and I'm from Davis, which has the top wine school in the country mm-hmm. so he invited me to uh, Napa Valley to actually apprenticeship at his winery, and it was wow, it was amazing
0: wow, and you actually you actually had the privilege of having an award winning wine right,
1: so what I did was um, when I graduated, I just had this conversation when I graduated um, or got out of uh, wine school. Um, Mr. Phelps brought me in his office and he said, You know, I'd offer you a job. Everyone loves you here, but I think you want to do something more. Because at the time I wanted to be a writer, mm-hmm. a wine and food educator, like write for Gourmet Magazine. Mm-hmm. And I started doing restaurant reviews and uh, wine reviews. And that was my first writing gig, first mm-hmm. writing gig. So then I discovered something called custom crushing, where you can actually buy grapes um, from a vineyard, take them to a winery, and make your own wine.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
1: a way that a lot of wineries who um, need some uh, influx of capital, you know, it's like renting your oven to mm-hmm. someone to bake a cake. You yeah. Know? So I did custom crushing. I made a pallet of wine, 52 cases, and we entered that wine into a bunch of... Uh, wine contest and we won gold medal and um, from that, I got investors right
0: away. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Very cool stuff. So, now you're doing pretty well at this wine. What made you think there's something more I want to do? What, what made you make that transition into writing screenplays?
1: Well, there's a the writer, uh, if he's listening, I hope he's listening. His name, he's very well known, David Chef. He, he wrote a lot of uh, interviews for Playboy magazine. And he wrote a lot of interviews for Rolling Stone magazine, London Times. You know, he did like Muhammad Ali and John uh, and Yoko Ono. And he started this new section in Playboy called Fast Forward, where mm-hmm. he featured up-and-coming people. And his his uh, um, feature that month was Chris Elliott and the guy from Sharper Images. Mm-hmm. And he heard about this young black winemaker in Napa Valley that was taking, you know, the the, the Valley by Storm. And he he said, do you want, can I interview you? Wow. And so I knew nothing about what he did. And um, I drove up in a truck, wine-stained shirt, boots. <laughs> and there was this beautiful wraparound sort of antebellum house and, you know, lap pool. And I knock on the door and he opens the door and I see this grand piano and a big poster signed of John Yoko johnny yoko ono and i was like this is fantastic (laughs) (laughs) so he said he brought brought me a cup of coffee took me to his office put up his feet and said okay so and i thought this is what i want to do wow this is what i want to do i really want this to be my career Mm -hmm. and um i tell students like um the highest Form of manifestation is not to sit in a room and go, I can hit the ball. I can hit the ball like, like pro athletes do. Mm-hmm. They just mantra and visualize. I think the highest form of ma- manifestation is when you go done. No doubt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that was one of those moments where I said, I don't know how I'm going to get there, but it's done. Uh huh. The only other time that ever happened to me is when I saw a Bruce Lee movie. I was 14 years old. I walked out of the theater and I went done. I'm, I'm, I'm doing that. I don't know how. I don't know where you know, take lessons, but I knew I was gonna be a karate
0: champion. Uh,
1: so do you know what I mean? Oh yeah. Those moments where you say to yourself, without
0: any doubt, done. Mm-hmm. I'm doing this.
1: That you was know? that
0: was me reading Skywalking, the uh, uh George Lucas biography. Oh wow. Yeah. Um I was fourteen, so this would have been back in nineteen eighty five. And uh, I said, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. Wow. And, uh, a yeah. 100, 170 TV episodes later. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's fantastic. So you know exactly what I mean. Oh yeah. 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 Very cool. So, so you, you knew you wanted to do this and mm. you set your hand at trying it and it wasn't successful at first.
1: No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> well, I had one of those moments I had a friend, um, who was an a uh, he was a lawyer for ICM, mm-hmm. really good friend. And I, I said, well, you're a lawyer at an agency. Um, what should I do? And he sent me the screenplay and it was kind of funny because I read it and it was one of those moments where I read the screenplay and I thought, I can do this. Mm-hmm. This was really, this is really fascinating. I can do this. And he was joking. He said, you know how much that screenplay sold for? And I said, no, he said, his name was Steve Cott So I said, Kot, how much? He said, $3 million. Oh
0: my goodness.
1: The movie hadn't been made yet, but it was called Basic Instinct and mm. it was written by Joe House. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, I, at that moment, Graham, where I said, you, you know, I can't hit the ball really over the fence anymore. I can't run as fast as Deion Sanders anymore. I can't jump as high as Michael Jordan. This is something I think I could do. Uh huh. And there's no ceiling on, you know, how yeah. well. I can be at it.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, I,
1: I knew what I put into it was what I was going to get out of it. In wow. other words.
0: Yeah. Wow. So you, so you wrote a script?
1: Yes. I wrote a script and I gave it to Steve and, um, he read it and he let his assistant read it. And they called me and said, it stunk. <laughs> <laughs> they said it was really bad. Uh, uh-huh. wow. I had, re- I had gone out and I read e- every book on screenwriting and I just tried to do it. Uh, uh-huh. and, uh, so I said, okay, dusted it off, threw it away and, um, started again. I wrote another screenplay and that screenplay, um, got, fell into the hands of Richard G- LaGravenese. He wrote Fisher King. Mm-hmm. And, um, from there, it was, I got the writer's lab invitation and then I, I got an agent and I got a call from, from, um, someone and said, I'd like to, sp- meet with you, and I'm like, who is this? And it was Michael Bestman at TriStar Pictures who had mm. read my screenplay. And I said, How'd you get a hold of it? And he said, Well this friend of yours gave it to me and it was a friend I told told him, Don't show it to anybody <laughs> <laughs> well, good friend though. Yeah, good friend. Yeah. He believed in it. So
0: Very cool. And now so that one that one didn't get produced, right? But it uh, but no. it sold.
1: Yeah. And it actually, uh, it became a writing sample. Mm-hmm. And that's really how you make a living as a writer in Hollywood. You don't make a living selling screenplays. Mm-hmm. You make a living being hired to write something in production that's financed, like the Lewis Armstrong story or the Jim Hart story or Dance Theater of Harlem. You know, they put a lot of mon- money in it, into it, and they look for writers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: When, when you get called, you're probably one of Thirty writers they've read, and when when you get your meeting, they've narrowed it down to two or three. Mm-hmm. So um, that screenplay got me work for five years.
0: Yeah, and so that was, that was also a lot of rewriting that time too, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's all I did. Mm-hmm. Oh, all you did, yeah, because mm-hmm. it's it's something that it's funny people outside the industry have no idea, <laughs> like oh, that yeah. that so me- like so much of the the. The writers guild is is people who are making a great living doing Absolutely. stuff that maybe their name is never on the screen.
1: Yeah. Carrie Fisher, <coughs> Princess Leia is probably one of the most coveted and successful script doctors of all time. Really? She's probably fixed every movie you've ever seen and she gets a whole lot of money for it. But really? you wouldn't know that. Yeah. She's an incredible writer. But that wow. she chooses not to take credit and yeah wow yeah. so
0: but you hit a point where you said I do want more than this and and tell me about that
1: well i had a wonderful mentor um robert greenwald and he actually won the uh, emmy award for directing fair faucet and burning bed mm-hmm. And he read one, that same script, and he said, I, I like this writer, and he hired me, and he kept hiring me, and he kept hiring me. And um, most of the projects, he said, you know, you have a Mac neck, neck for fixing screenplays, don't you? And I said, yeah, I do. And after, uh, like, the fourth project, we're in a, um, his office with his development uh, executive, Liz, and she, they both said, God, you're the best-kept secret in Hollywood. In <laughs> that moment, I went, that's not what I planned. Th- that's not what I actually planned uh, happening. <laughs> so I then I said, well, maybe I don't want to be a secret.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: And then from from there, you you did uh, movies of the week. Yes. And yeah. Was, was, was that through uh, through Robert?
1: Yeah, oh, yeah, he launched my career and movies of the week. Like, Mm -hmm. I did the Credit Scott King story called uh, Three Friends and did Baby Insane in the Buddha. And, um, then I wrote this spec script of feature on my own. And, um, it fell into hands of a director who actually fell in love with it. His name is Greg Champion. And somehow Greg got the screenplay to Sidney Poitier. Wow. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. It was one of those moments where, um, a feature s- script got in the hands of a director and a well-known actor. And, you know, I get this phone call from Sydney Portia saying he wanted to play this role. We wow. had the same agent at the time, Sydney, Mr. Uh-huh. Poitier and I. And I got this phone call. I was like,
0: who is this? You know?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Doug, is this Michael, Are you, you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. And, and that, uh, teleplay ended up being uh, what three Emmy nominations?
2: Yeah,
1: um, you know, a really good TV show uh, rating now is about a fourteen to sixteen share
2: mm-hmm.
1: of the audience, like you know, Dances with Thought Stars or yeah. American Idol. On the unit, you know, we came in at like a fourteen fifteen share. And we were we we're number one hit show. Mm-hmm. This little movie with Sydney Poitier, starring Sydney Poitier and Diane Weiss and Mary Louise Parker. I got a near 30 share in the television ratings.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And it was like the fifth most successful movie um for CBS in television history. And I got this really wonderful note, personal note from Les Moonves saying, thank you very much. And I didn't
0: even know who Les
1: Moonves was. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, it was extremely successful. And um, Wow.
0: And an Image Award from that as well?
1: Yeah, um, oh, that's a great story. But um, Mr. Portier won for Best Actor mm-hmm. that year. I also had another screenplay that was nominated for um, Best um, Screenplay Image Award called Dangerous Evidence, but uh, we won with Noah Dearborn. Mm-hmm. Wow!
0: And uh, and so you're doing movies of the week, and then 9/11 happens. Tell me about that. Uh-
1: yeah. 9-11 had happens and then, so there's kind of a moratorium immediately. No, no, nothing about bad cops, firemen, doctors, nothing like that.
0: Wow. And then
1: with the, uh, everyone sort of pulled back financially and then, um, there was this breakthrough you know who it was decided, let's do some reality television because that costs no money. And that just blew up. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't have to pay directors or writers and just went like, you know, this mushroom. And the first thing that left was uh Movies of the Week. And I had just become one of the highest paid Movies of the Week writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, one of the most successful. And it, it went away. I mean, uh-huh. it did just fade out. It just disappeared. Wow. My whole career just left because that's all I did was movies of the week. Wow. And, you know, like I tell people, I didn't go from 18,000 to 16,000 a year 40, 40, to th- or 40,000 to 32. I went from mid six figures to zero. Oh, zero. I had just bought a brand new house for wow. my kids. And, um, you know, it was an awful time. Mm-hmm. I had two kids in private schools and, uh, one, one son in a uh, private college and I just didn't know what to do. So. Mm-hmm. So what did uh, you do? I called a friend who, um, I bought her house and she was a, just a lovely woman. She was so nice. And I, she had created this animation empire. Um, um, her and her husband, Klasky Chupo,
2: mm-hmm.
1: Alain Klasky and, um, Gabor Chupo. And I said, I'm a writer. And, uh, actually to back up, I thought first, I'll get a job anywhere. I went and stood in line at UPS. Mm -hmm. I went and I, you know, and I called my mentor, Robert Greenwald. I said, Robert, I need a job.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. And Robert said, you have a job. You're a writer. You've been perfecting this job for the last 10 years or so. So he said, write, write something, write for a newspaper. So that's why I called Arlene. I said, you know, I don't. I've never written for animation. She mm-hmm. said, um, I gave her, I sent her a note at 12 o'clock. I don't know what day it was. She said, get here by three. Mm. And she saved me. I mean, it wasn't a whole lot of money, but she let me develop three or four shows with her and it kept bread on the table.
0: Mm-hmm. And you, you sold a few pilots, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, After Arlene and Klasky Chupo, what happened was my agent kept saying, write a one-hour pilot sample, write a one-hour pilot sample. And what young writers uh, really don't know the value of that, but if you write a one-hour pilot sample and you nail it, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you nail it. You're probably going to get a look and you're probably going to get a job. Really? Yeah. So I wrote a spec one-hour pilot. And I, I, I chose not to write, you know, a Sopranos or whatever. I chose to make something up based on some information I, I, I learned about. there's these these um, real badge-carrying, gun-carrying cops who police doctors. Mm-hmm. They're in Pasadena, and they work for the medical board. And I thought, wow, perfect combination of the most popular genres, yeah. cops and doctors. So I wrote this pilot called The Board, and um uh Bob Greenblatt and uh, David Gennelari had a show called Six Feet Under, and they read it, and they just fell in love with it. Oh, yeah? Yeah. And it never it sold. It never got put up, but that uh, pilot, two weeks later, I got a call saying, um, you have a meeting with Sean Ryan, <laughs>
2: <laughs> the creator wow. of
1: S.H.I.E.L.D., and wow. then I met the Sh- Sean for about five minutes, and he said, okay, uh, uh can you meet with David tomorrow? And I'm like, David? Because yeah, David Mamet.
0: Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Man, I'm
1: telling you, I had to drive across town to David uh-huh. Mamet. I got lost at least 15 times. I was late. I was just, it was an outer body experience.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow. Um yeah. Very cool. And, uh, and you ended up working on, um, uh, the unit was from that, but now unit you didn't do right away, right? You did a couple other shows in between.
1: No, no, the unit was first. Oh, it was first. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, I had sold a couple of pilots, they, like, you know, um, Bob Greenblatt and David tried to put up the board, but it didn't stick. And so I went to the unit and, um, it was probably the best experience a young writer could, a television writer. Mm -hmm. So now here's the thing. Um, although I, they called me a baby writer in television
2: Mm -hmm. because
1: I had never done it. So I was labeled a baby writer. That's what they call you.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, you're the grunt, you know, you're a baby writer, but I wasn't, I was an Emmy nominated writer. So, but I just didn't know television Mm -hmm. and it was the perfect show because Sean, said okay we're here for you to succeed but if you write an episode you have to produce it so um when your episode came up my episode came up um i had to sit in casting mm-hmm. i had to go on t- uh, uh, scout uh, uh what's it called tech scouting and i you know location scouting i sit in the read-throughs and then when the director came on board uh, you had to go to the set for the, your eight-day shoot. So, it mm-hmm. was the perfect entry into television because there was so much autonomy. Mm-hmm. That doesn't happen.
0: Rarely happens. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, and if it does, it's it's only the senior writer level. Exactly. And um, also,
1: uh, you know, I, I know this is um, something David Mamet didn't plan on doing, but I was the only, uh, writer that year who got to write soul episodes other than him. Mm-hmm. And then I also got to write on everyone else's episode. And, um, he gave me a lot of, he gave me a lot of juice. And wow. that got me in a lot of trouble, actually. <laughs> because what they did was the network said, okay, David Mamet is David Mamet, So mm-hmm. he's not going to be around. Sean Ryan has another show. So they loaded us down with chiefs. They brought in Amy um, award-winning writers from ER, West Wing, um, NY, no, no, uh, New York undercover, um, big-time writers. And I was the only grunt.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so these big-time writers were going, why is this guy getting to write solo episodes? Uh-huh. Why is this guy getting to create create characters on our episodes? So it was, it was, it was fascinating because while I did great and I was told I, you know, at the end of the season, I was the only person that really delivered what David wanted.
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
1: That got me in a lot of trouble.
0: Yeah. Well, and and you speak a bit about in your book about how you can do an amazing job on a show and still get fired.
1: Yes. Absolutely. Uh huh. Yeah, Yeah,
0: the strange, strange things in Hollywood.
2: (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. I got my best review on the book was from a a writer, a co-executive producer from Lost. And she wrote, she also preceded me on Medium. And now she writes for a great show now called Touch. And my first big review was from um, this writer said, you must read this book. It's the best screenplay um, book. Um, and it's not just written for young writers. It's written for people who are actually in the business because I talk about how to bounce back from being fired because it's going to happen.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: and, you know, the real things that go on behind the scenes.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which, uh, you don't necessarily know from, from working your way up even through it. Cause I, I okay. know as I, as I talk to a lot of different writers on, on the podcast. I, what I hear so often is that um, every room is different. And if you happen to maybe you start on a show and you're lucky enough to get seven seasons of it, you right. might think all of Hollywood is the way that room was. And, right, right, exactly. And and, it, and you go to your next room and it could be completely different.
1: Absolutely, absolutely, yeah,
0: yeah. So so we'll tell you. We got to move ahead a little bit and. Um, yeah. You you were on The Medium and, and Heist as well, and at yeah. what point did you decide that you wanted to start writing books? Because you've written um, a couple of writing books and, and another yeah. one as well. Uh, I'll tell you,
1: it was a really seminal moment, and it started with um, Mr. Poitier. Mm-hmm. We're shooting a, a scene in Atlanta on, on my movie, The Simple Life of Noah Dearborn, mm-hmm. and I'm standing on the set, and all these people are watching, and it's roped off, and we had a break, and uh, Sidney Poitier sort of ambles or saunters over to me and st- stands next to me. I'm like, oh, my God.
2: <laughs> and he
1: looks at me and he says, so what are you writing
2: next? Uh-huh.
1: I looked at him, and I'm i am not kidding you. I realized at that moment, I said, no matter what happens in my career, I want another disadvantaged kid to have this experience. Hmm. So I knew at that time I was going to be a mentor. I was oh. going to teach, and I was going to send the elevator back down. Hmm. Now the problem with Hollywood is there are a lot of people who don't want to do that because um there's some amazing people in Hollywood in terms of talent, but everyone's scared that their job is going to be their last job. Yeah, And I just didn't think that. I just thought, you know what? Um I can, I can go either way with this. And, um, so I decided to write a book for people that would actually prepare them for things that I wasn't prepared for. We would talk about things that I didn't know. No one mentored me.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and, uh, I got a lot of criticism from writers saying you're being too generous. Mm, Really? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. A lot of writers said, why are you doing this? You're being, you're giving away our secrets. Wow. And I'm saying, you know, so I have two, two young, really hot writers right now. And I read, um, they came over to my house and they said, how do you, how do you write? Mm -hmm. Um, Josh and Mark, and they are two of the hottest writers in Hollywood right now. Now I read an article on them. CAA picked them up and I'm reading this article and I thought, they're getting million-dollar deals, blind deals, and they're just blowing up. Mm-hmm. I look at it and I said, okay, I can either be really jealous, like my peers, or I can realize I'm very good at it. And so I decided, you know what? I might be really good at this. And um, so the smokescreen is that I'm mentoring and writing books. But truly, if I reach one inner-city kid... Or one disadvantaged young female, you
0: know. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I think the the worst human condition in the, in the absolute world is not to be seen or heard or given a chance. Mm-hmm. So, I thought, you know, that's what I'd like to do.
0: Well, and in, in maybe we just stop, um talk about that a little bit. I I actually floated this on Twitter uh, a, a few days ago. Or I think it was yeah, a few days ago. Just the idea that that. The 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 biggest enemy to succeeding in film and TV is quitting, right? Um, and and I received a a bunch of tweets back that that were saying, "Well, you can't see that because you're you're a white guy," right? Yeah. What What do you think? Like to to me, I think it doesn't matter where you are. If you quit, you that's it. Absolutely.
1: Gil Gil Cates, um, um, a well known producer and dean of uh ucla uh, film school gill said it only takes five minutes to lose your line in hollywood and bruce stern said everybody eventually makes it but everybody so so many people dabble Mm -hmm. so you know a a lot of people um i read an article harrison ford said um he said i'm I knew I wasn't the prettiest, the richest, or the smartest, but I knew I'd be the last person to get back on the bus and leave, and that's where I drew from. I said, "I will not quit." And um, I just had a, a meeting about a month ago. Andrea Giannetti, who's an executive at Columbia Pictures, she did the Da Vinci Code, little film, and uh, <laughs> she did Hancock.
0: Uh, oh, I um, loved Hancock.
1: Yeah. I sat down in her office and she said, I said, what, what can I tell young writers? And she said, tell young writers, you have to be obsessed. You know, never quit. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, you know, a lot of people approach me and they go, I've got this fallback plan. I got this fallback plan. Well, you know what? I had no fallback plan. You know, I had children. You know in high school, and I brought bought a brand new big house, and I all of a sudden had zero income
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know you just have to be one of those people who said i you know you just have to drag me out of here
0: <laughs> yeah
1: well in- you know there many times I wish i i I wasn't that guy mm-hmm. many times i wish i I just worked at a gas station, uh-huh, but that's not me,
0: yeah, you know yeah well and 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 like like we we said earlier early on in the podcast just because somebody tells you you can't doesn't mean that you have to believe them
1: right well uh, to address directly what you said about uh, someone said it's you're white um i interviewed with Coretta scott king and um she said to me young man why should i hire you to write my story um because you know i'm a female um I said, Miss King, you should hire a writer. And I got the job. Uh huh. You know, so at some point, um, it doesn't really matter. Maybe some people are, uh, gonna be given the opportunity to get in a room. Mm-hmm. But really, if it shows up on the page, you know, if you're camera operator and you're just better than the guy next to you, mm-hmm. that's, it doesn't matter what, if you're Asian or black or, you know. Now, I think that the reason there aren't as many opportunities for minorities is because we are not exposed to it. Mm. You know, we don't, we don't sit there in a high school biology class thinking, I want to be a screenwriter, you know. We're thinking, well, I'll be a doctor or a ball player or a teacher. Mm-hmm. So, you know?
2: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I know, I mean, when you're looking through a stack of resumes or you're looking through a stack of scripts,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're looking at the, at the quality of what's there.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Um,
0: well, so in, in, in specific, going through your book, um, obviously you, you have a lot of experience through all sorts of different areas of the the industry and mm. I, I i highly suggest people just buy the book and read it <laughs> <laughs> thank you we don't want this to be just a cheat sheet of everything but uh, by by the same token we do want to hear from some of your wisdom what are some of the worst mistakes that new writers can make do you think
1: uh A common mistake is when you finally get a shot, and you sit down in, in, in front of a producer or executive producer, and you get on the rewriting treadmill. Sometimes we are, uh, no, quite often, uh, even experienced writers, e- even award-winning writers, we rewrite and we take so many notes that the people don't recognize the story anymore. Mm-hmm. And then they don't like it and they put it in turnaround. So I caution people to, um, overly, uh, correct themselves to try to prove, you know, uh, see, film used to be, um, run by filmmakers.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now it's run by corporations. So these young MBAs, they don't know a lot about film and they, their job is to give you notes and give you notes. If they don't give you notes, they don't have a job. Mm-hmm. So, um, several times in my career, I've rewritten so much that they, the studio went, um, we don't even recognize this project. A good example. I just got hired to write, uh, a remake of a seventies cult film. And by the time I was done, there was no, there's no, there was no parallel between the two movies. Mm hmm blonde movies was a sort of a occult black exploitation movie mm-hmm. and the script i finally turned in was the wire of the movie pretty uh. dark r- violent well you know I, I didn't sign up for that but that's the direction it headed in because i got so many notes mm-hmm. i said we want this to be an english gangster film and we want it to be modern next thing i knew i had just I didn't have what they hired me to write. Mm -hmm. I know where it is right now,
0: you know. So your advice in that situation is fight back on notes or, or? Find a point
1: in which you, uh, um, um, intuit this is not my story anymore and be able to say no more. Mm -hmm. And, um, that is actually seen as a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very common mistake. And the other one is uh, um, just remember the person that's in front of you, the the annoying person, the development person, uh, just remember 10 years from now, they're going to be running a studio. Mm -hmm. So be nice to everybody.
0: (laughs) Well, yeah, actually, I I really love that part about what uh, you said that a few times, not as a main point, but just in, in, in passing that you no matter how backstabbing people might be around you that you just choose to be nice Um, and that you even actually got in trouble for being nice before um talk about that a little bit because i think a lot of people sometimes feel like they have to be the you know the art of war kind of person um, right to make it
1: no you know um sometimes people think uh kindness is a as a form of weakness and i don't but um in hollywood there there's a you know there's a careful line, and this is this is something you cannot actually teach, but I'll tell you what makes a star in Hollywood, whether you're a writer or director or camera person. what makes a star is a cross between manners and strength
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know so um Marlon Brando, while he was, um, you know, a rebel, uh, James Dean, while he was, um, you know, outspoken and different, Robert Mitchum, while they were bad boys, they, they also had charm. Mm. And Hollywood really grasped that. They loved the mystique. So um, an executive producer said to me once, said, she said, you know, Sterling, when a writer or producer or someone walks in the room, we want someone that says, we go that away." way
2: mm-hmm.
1: We don't want someone that says, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want. At the same time, I don't think um, you have to be rude. Right. You know? So when I, I I tell a young uh, uh, actor, I said, look, to be a superstar, you have to have a balance of bad boy and and, and mannerly. I said, but that's not rudeness. You know, the greatest musician I ever heard in my life, you will never hear from Hmm. because he's this nerdy, white guy, clean shaven. You know, he plays like Jimi Hendrix. And my my advice to him was, look, don't shave. Grow your hair out. Get some (laughs) dusty boots, Put your feet up on someone's desk and say, I don't care. It'll match your talent. Uh Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that's what Hollywood packages time after time after time. That's why you see young actors, they go off the rails because um once they make it, they go, oh, I got to go dark. <laughs> that's not quite true. You don't make it and become Marlon Brando, you know? Yeah. You walk into the room, Marlon Brando.
0: Yeah. So um, you you also said in your in your book and on your blogs um, that it's if somebody is breaking in that it's much wiser to go for television. Uh, talk about that.
1: Yeah, uh, no one told me this. I wish they had when I first started writing. Uh, film is the director's medium. Television is the writer's medium. I just wrote uh, my last job in features. As I wrote a screenplay, I did two or three rewrites. I turned it in. And I'm done.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the director will come in. He'll bring his own writers. That's why you see so many writers on. We're disposable.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: We have no power. In television, we have all the power. You know, you start out as a, a grunt writer on a TV show. And uh, uh, you're making $12,000 a month. And you're the low man on a totem pole. W- w- well, if you last a season, the next show you you go to, you get a bump up to 20000 a month.
2: <laughs>
1: right? uh. That show gets failed or canceled. Um, if you survived it, you go to another show and you get another bump, which is about $24,000 a month. So, and you get, you go from, uh, staff, s- story editor, editor, su- supervising editor. You just get bumped up for it is if you can survive it. So it's, it's like the pros. Once you get in, you you get traded to the other teams, mm-hmm. but it's the same roster. Yeah. It's, the, it's the same guys. And so um when you sell a screenplay in television, you you walk in as the creator of. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like the creator of this uh, this guy who who we went to the same high school, we went to the same college, he created a television show. The first season he was fired off the show he created. He was fired. Wow. They said, "You don't get it, you don't know how to do this. He doesn't right?
0: get his own show. He doesn't get his own show
1: right? <laughs> exactly. well you know in the in the seventh year of the show he created, he was getting mailbox money i'd- uh, I'd approximate would be a minimum of a hundred thousand dollars an episode.
0: Oh my goodness, wow, so.
1: You know, you fail upward. If you create a show called Prison Break and they fire you off of it, you're still gonna get paid big time. Wow. And then you walk into another room and you say, I created Prison Break. Well they're gonna go, Oh, you have an audience. What do you want to create for us? Yeah. No one remembers that they you got fired.
0: Uh-huh.
1: You know? Yeah. So
0: so, so these days when they say don't write specs, write pilots. Uh-huh. Um, what, what would your advice be to, cause you've sold a few now, um, yeah. what would your advice be to, to be able to write a pilot that stands out? What makes a pilot stand out?
1: Uh, well, a lot of people don't know how to write pilots. Number one, um, uh, people create new TV, uh, create new TV shows all the time, but they don't know how to write pilots and there's a special formula And where people fail is when you write a pilot, a new television show idea, in that pilot has to be a sample episode. Mm -hmm. Because the network wants to know, where are we going every week? So, if you don't do that, you'll fail. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you're writing a procedural, you have to write a pilot that you catch the bad guy. Yeah. If you write house, you have to cure the disease in the pilot. Yeah. So the network goes, "Oh, we know where we're going
0: every week." Well, that that even works for for stuff that makes it to air. I I just interviewed Kyle Killen, who um oh, yeah. created Awake, uh-huh. and uh, his first show, Lone Star, he did yeah. as a premise pilot, and he said one of the problems with with that show is that people didn't know in the first episode where it was going to go. Right. And uh, and I mean, there, there there's other reasons it failed. It was it was kind of a cable show on on the network and. And that kind of thing, but he made a deliberate effort with Awake to make sure that it wasn't a premise pilot; like it right. was an episode,
1: right? Exactly. You know, I I panel with Kyle and Austin. And oh yeah, like, really good guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Really good guy. Yeah. Oh, he's got a great story too. Yeah. 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 Cool. And um, so I think we're coming to at the end of our time here. But um, any any other. Bit of wisdom for somebody trying to break in or, or something you've learned along the way that you'd like to leave everybody with?
1: Um, I would say um, one of the th- things, if you become a writer, I think the most important, wh- whatever writer you become, uh, learn that you write to think. You don't think to write. If you think to write, you'll sit in your room and you'll think all day long. If you write to think, it'll prepare you to becoming a writer. For example, when you're on a show, you um, have to go in the office and create an episode. And if you sit in that office for eight hours and you don't come out with an episode, you're gone. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, write to think. Start typing first. Because that's what we have to do. I write six hours every day, no matter what.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. Now, I think the most important thing that's not taught in any book to any screenwriter is the speed in which you have to write. So, a lot of young writers think, oh, I can write a screenplay and I can take two years. (laughs) Or I can write a pilot and I can take six months. Uh No. Okay. Okay. When you write you're on a show, you get a week or two weeks at the most to write an episode. So when you sit down and write a pilot, give yourself a week. That's it. Wow. When you write a feature film, give yourself only two to three months to have a polished screenplay. Because by the time you get in there and you start working, you'll be able to stay up. Many showrunners say if you can't Keep up. We can't keep you. Mm-hmm. So I say two things. One, write to think. Don't think to write. And two, um, don't give yourself forever to write a screenplay. Um, know that if you're writing a feature film, if you get hired to write a feature film, you're only going to get two to three months to turn in a polished first draft. Mm-hmm. So get, don't sit there and go, I've got a year to do this. And if you write a television pilot, Give yourself only one or two weeks. Get used to that pace. I think that's why a lot of writers fail. Mm-hmm. Because when they get there, even some... I Look, I've mentored two young writers, and um they are overwhelmed. They're super successful. They're getting calls from Guy Ritchie to everybody. And they called me up and said, they want us to do this all fast. And I said, of course. Because if you do it fast, you'll become a franchise.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Because if you deliver fast, they'll go, Oh my God, these guys are not on talented. They're fast. So this problem over here we're having, we're going to put them on that. Mm-hmm. And this problem on over here, you, you become a franchise. Yeah. That's the best advice I can give.
0: Very cool. Well, that's a great place to end up. And speaking of ending up, I do have to mention your website, uh, sterlingandersonwriter.com.com
1: Dot com, yes.
0: Yeah, and uh, and so everybody go there because you can find out about all of your books and all of your other stuff that is going on. And you do blog on that site as well. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I have been on the road. I went to um, KU to speak, and I was at the Northern Arizona to speak, and I just got back two nights ago. So I haven't blogged. I'm going to do my blog today. but mm-hmm. um. I am also I also have to do my own writing and then I have some mentoring to do. So I've a pretty busy day, but the we're we're doing a facelift to the website and I will put up a blog in the next couple of days.
0: Very cool. And are you on Twitter?
1: Yes, you are. I'm Your Twitter. Twitter handle is beyond screenwriting, but it's in an acronym. I don't I it's like um It's on my website.
0: Okay. I'll get it from your website and put it up in the podcast.
1: Yeah. yeah, Beyond screenwriting, but it's like B-Y-O-N-S-C-R. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. 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 Cool. Well, I really, really appreciate you taking the time. And also, more than just taking the time, I appreciate you creating these resources to inspire people to do it. I mean, Hollywood needs people like you who are... Sending that elevator back down and i really really appreciate that
1: well thank you and you know what i have to tell you that um what makes a great interview mm-hmm. is the person that doing the interview your uh-huh. questions are dead on and your questions are really um poignant and i think that the success of this interview comes from the host it mm-hmm. was a great interview oh. i at, at no point was I sitting here going, I'm wasting my time. This person doesn't know what he's asking about, you know. And a lot of times I sit down with interviews and I have to say, well, um, trees were grown and we got paper. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. well, <laughs> it was thanks a so outstanding much.
1: Outstanding interview.
0: Uh, well, thank you so much. It was a lot of fun. Okay. Cool. Okay. Bye bye. Okay. Take care. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV writer podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web.